0: with this commandment how often you think you know something and it turns out that you had no idea all along I often hear it when people talk to me about a relationship that has broken up perhaps sadly a marriage so she says I was married to him for 30 years I thought I knew him inside out but the events of these last few weeks make me realise I never did know him after all or perhaps on a lighter note I've been reading the story of Linus Torvalds Uh, Linus is uh, another of those great Finnish inventions like Nokia mobile phones, uh, their gift to the world or one of them Uh, Linus was the one who designed the Linux operating system which if you're a, a computer person or forgive me a geek you will know immediately uh, is the uh, leading contender with Microsoft Windows for operating systems. The genius of Linux is that it is open to anyone and apparently you don't have to pay for it. If you can explain to me in a sentence, I've got to that bit in the book where he explains how that works and how he makes a living, but I still haven't worked it out. But uh, Linus um, spent years locked away in his bedroom as a young boy and then as a teenager with each generation of new computers he worked on the systems and he tweaked things and he changed things and uh, day after day, night after night his curtains were drawn, he hardly knew the difference his mum was content while all this went on though she did worry how he would ever meet a nice girl this way then version 1 was ready and it was launched in Helsinki University in a blaze of publicity only then did his folks realise what he had been doing Alone for all those years in his room only then did the University of Helsinki take it seriously after all he says it was on the TV news so it was real now they thought they knew him but there was really no idea behind it forgive me I'm howling up here can you turn me down a bit or something Uh, we're ringing back here can you help me with that please you think you know. You think you know this command. Have I disappeared altogether? <laughs> you think you know this command. You shall not kill. Literally, no murder. No murder. What could be clearer and simpler than that? Most of us here would be in the clear, wouldn't we? You shall not kill. No murder. So we are instinctively relaxing as we look at this passage together. But I want to say to you this evening that the distinction is very important as we begin between kill and murder. Murder means any form of unlawful or unauthorised killing. If you look in the figures in Scotland... That means we're talking about something in the order of 80 to 100 people who lose their lives every year in recent years. 77% of those people are male and uh, most of them come in the 16 to 29 age bracket closely followed by the 30 to 49 age. Any form of unlawful or unauthorised killing. Now the Old Testament is quite realistic about this. It understands that there are times when you have to go to war, for example. We are still involved in the consequences as a nation of that decision. The Old Testament understands that discipline and justice have to be exercised and have to be demonstrated. It may be that as we're thinking about this distinction right from the start, some of you are thinking about the difference between killing in in any kind of lawful, authorised way and murder. The Old Testament makes that distinction quite deliberately. It assumes a world where you can make that distinction indeed where you must make that distinction as you deal with life as Peter said I was for 12 years rector of St Thomas's up the way and somehow on the west side maybe it's true for you as well we had a number of folks in the congregation who worked for BAE or GEC or Ferranti or whatever its name has been and is now but you know who you are if you work for them And of course it's described as the defence industry. But we are making weapons some of the time. We are making laser-guided devices to make sure that those weapons find their targets. The conversation I would have with my friends in the congregation was not to pick on them Sunday by Sunday and accuse them of being involved in some kind of authorised murdering but I wanted to say to them quietly I need to know you have done your sums I need to know as your minister your pastor as we grapple with God's word together that you understand the distinctions we're talking about and that you can stand before the Lord in the end when you meet him face to face and know that it was your calling yes indeed your ministry to be involved in defending our nation and our values not every Christian can do that but if you're in that world you need to be able to do it Jesus speaks without criticism of those who are soldiers, of those whose business it is to keep the peace and yes sometimes to fight to take the initiative he simply appeals to them, to know God in the midst even of that For there are distinctions, and the distinctions are very important. There is this whole question of defence and warfare. It's clear that military defence and warfare is a a tool of the state, and the Bible understands that. It is not meant to be an instrument of state control, We, we know in our world. Uh, even in the news this week we have questions perhaps about some of the things that have been happening uh, there was uh, hundred people killed in Thailand this week I, I didn't get into the detail of what happened there but you wonder, what's that about? how can we know whether this is true defence or whether we've crossed a line somewhere it's a live question all the time the last century, the 20th century was the century when more people died at the hands of their own government forces than in all the centuries put together before. It was a dreadful, terrible century. May God help us that the 21st century will not be the same but the evidence doesn't look so good, does it, at this point in the way that we have started across the world. The Old Testament is realistic. The Old Testament is sensitive It knows the difference, you see, between accidents and murder. It knows that incidents happen. The Old Testament understands these things and that's what gives us our current concern for things like health and safety and the distinctions that we do make in the figures that we calculate and the judgments that we make between accidental death on the one hand and homicide and murder on the other. There is a a realistic distinction I I have a lovely story somewhere It's one of those second hand stories But I do love it that uh, tucked away in the Old Testament In the details of Exodus and uh, Leviticus Is a rule that if you had a house with a flat roof You had to put a parapet round it You had to put a fence round it Rather like there's a fence round this very high uh, Rather frightening pulpit To make sure you don't fall off and uh, the story is told of somebody who read that verse who wasn't a Christian but thought, wait a minute any God who cares that much about people, I'm interested I'm interested in a God who's bothered if you fall off a flat roof or not and there began a search which eventually brought him to faith the Bible understands these things and knows the distinctions in the Old Testament it's also quite clear As you've been seeing, as you've looked at more and more into these ten words, these ten commandments, that human life is made in the image of God. So for the world of the Old Testament, for the world of crime and punishment, the lines are straightforward. If you take a life, you have to pay with your life. That was the consequence. Because... You have destroyed not only a person, but their family, their livelihood, their future, and their hope. And above all, you have taken a life that God had given. However good or bad that life was, that's not the point. But if you had chosen to do this, if you'd worked it out beforehand, if you had that intention, and you worked it out that way, and then you went and did it, that's the mark of murder, the difference between murder and accidental death then you must face the consequences. And in the world of the Old Testament, as in some parts of the world still now, that equation was there. You take a life, you lose yours. That's how it works. Now, in Europe, we have chosen to set this aside. I think we worried over many years about those times when we got it wrong, and there were times, many of them, when people died and it was later discovered that there was other evidence that we missed or we didn't understand. People convicted of murder who were later shown to be innocent and we lost confidence in being sure all the time, so we said we'd better not do it any of the time. That's how it worked. We are, of course, in Europe, the newly expanded Europe, by and large now, humanist the struggle in the European constitution whether or not we get to vote on it is whether we can actually put God's name in the preface never mind the rest of it so far have we moved from a Europe that had God and his word at the centre so as European humanists we increasingly believe that this life is all there is and we cannot bear to end it even when someone someone else's life was lost So we have to live with the consequences of the decisions that we have made. So there are a lot of people in our jails, if nothing else, it costs an enormous amount to keep them. The Prison Reform Trust calculate that every prisoner costs £25,000 a year to keep in custody. The BBC webpage had an estimate of £27,500, something of that order. The Prison Reform Trust are arguing that community penalties where possible, not for murder, but for other crimes, would cost us much less and be much more helpful. That's another Old Testament story that we might want to look at one day. On the BBC News, reflecting on the explosion predicted in the prison population with more prisons being built and more staff being needed, they reckon that we'll be facing a bill of something in the order of 300 million pounds a year on the extra running costs alone. And we're still left with the questions. How long is enough? Someone was jailed the other day. I wrote his name down and wretchedly I missed it. for a man in Middlesbrough who got so fed up with his neighbours, DIY. Did you hear this? That in the end he took things into his own hands and killed him. That his recommendation was for life For ten years. At parole, he may not be there for so much longer than that. How long is enough? We're left with these questions. What do we do with folks in that situation? And uh, how long do we deal with them? And how do we help them? Again, one of the programmes on the radio this week, on Radio 4, was reflecting that 600 murderers in our prisons applied for parole last year. 61, in the end, were released. These are big issues, big questions. In God's world, by contrast, you and I find ourselves accountable to him for the lives, not only of ourselves and those closest to us, but for lives around us, the lives of others. The Old Testament's view, the Bible's view, is quite clear. If you take life, you do overstep the limits that God has set. In other words, it's as if you've stepped into God's place. For as he gives life, so it's up to him to take it. Job says this as he loses almost everything. The Lord gave my life my prosperity, my business, my family my fields, my animals everything I depended on was given to me by God but hey, I've lost it all and I'm about to lose my health as well I don't know in the courts of heaven that there's been a conversation going on that will at least protect my life I don't know that, but the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away blessed be the name of the Lord extraordinary perspective In God's world, you and I are called instead to protect people, whoever they are, to bless them, to give in God's name to them, to do them good, again, regardless of the response, regardless of the reaction. The central commandments summarised in Deuteronomy and by Jesus himself are to love God and to love your neighbour as yourself. That's what we're called to do these ten words as you've already known these ten commandments as we call them, they do a number of things, first and foremost they show us God's heart they show us what matters to God, they are windows into the character of God this God cares at every level and this level of life and death above all and who takes it and who gives it, who blesses it, and who protects it. God's heart and priorities are given. Oh yes, these ten words also set the limits for human behaviour. They are first and foremost for God's own people as they begin their new life as free people who have escaped from the slavery that shaped their life for so long. But of course those people are called to be a model, alternative society in the real world to demonstrate what it's like to be with God to have God in the picture to be involved with Him and have Him involved with us. These things of course therefore we who are Christians believe passionately would be the best things for our world to take. But increasingly as I've said our world wants to turn its back on these things and I believe we have to be involved very much more than we are in challenging that in getting a hearing in explaining why these things in demonstrating how they work and above all else as a community of God's people demonstrating in human form how they work the best way for us to live, which would be the best way for all to live. The distinctions are important. In God's world you and I are accountable to Him. This phrase of no murder, just those two words in the original, takes us again much further. They take us, as Chris Wright has written, into all ethical matters which in which human life is at stake from its beginnings in the womb to its waning in old age or terminal illness. All ethical matters from the beginning to the end are governed by these two words, this simple principle behind it, no murder. And that takes us into a whole raft of issues I'm sure you've come tonight with very many questions. Uh, I will certainly be available at the end uh, because I'm not sure I'm going to answer the questions, all of them, that you have. But let's tease out some more of the implications. The whole question of allowing abortion or not in our world, that's touched by this. Most Christians, certainly Christians represented by this church and by Evangelical Alliance would say that by and large life begins around the point of conception very soon after that you're dealing with potential life sure protected in the womb and not there yet but you need to think very seriously before you interfere at that level and hence our protest at the casual use of abortion as a kind of late contraceptive as a kind of way out of a difficult corner when it doesn't suit or the time's not right or there doesn't seem to be enough money of course there are many circumstances that challenge that the question of someone who's been raped or abused what then? but I'm saying that this commandment reaches into every dimension of that conversation And you and I must make our mind up at every stage in that conversation. We must care and be merciful to those who have been through that process. Many have been through it without thinking. And we meet them and we want to help them. We want to bring them to the Lord. We want to point them, as we've heard already tonight, to the Lord who gives a new start and a new beginning. But there's an area. Or take it right to the other end of life, the whole question which we call euthanasia when life could end when it should end how involved should we be in that process a poignant and painful issue for many of us perhaps in our own thinking as frankly if we are honest with one another we believe we are sure what will happen as Christians when we die but we don't much like the thought of the dying so that we have our own questions and maybe you're caring for someone for whom this is a live question they're in pain, they're struggling and there's a whole range of issues here to be touched on the whole question which some of us are involved in by our callings, by our ministry, by our work of the possibility of genetic engineering the possibility of taking cells from adults or cells from not yet children there are differences there What can we do? What should we do? What ought we to do? All of these areas, you see, are touched by this command. I remember reading a thoughtful book, I think it was the Penguin book on ethics, just a framework for thinking your way through some of these things. And On the cover, it had this little quote. Thou shalt not kill, we're agreed on that, but must not strive officiously to keep alive. There's a whole conversation there, isn't there, to be had. The whole hospice movement has helped us so much face up to some of these issues. Yes, you can deal with pain, but it may shorten life. And you have to work your way through that equation. This command touches so many dimensions. And again, in our kind of world, we're we're brutally reminded of these. Just a few weeks ago, Channel 4, had a programme late in the evening showing the details of a live abortion. Yes, I choose my words carefully for that's what it was. Ironically, it was a programme presented by those who wanted to keep that option open at that stage. It was an intriguing piece of arguing. And this week we've had this bizarre situation where uh, the nurse Barbara Salisbury, the ward uh, sister, uh, was somehow consumed by a desire to deal with the bed shortage by overdoing the doses by dealing with some of the people that she had to deal with lay him flat she said to one colleague with any luck his lungs will fill with water and he will die or another as she gave far too much pain killing medicine why delay the inevitable let go shocking to us and yet contemporary and relevant as we think of this commandment we instinctively know don't we that these things would be wrong Christians say the reason why we instinctively know is because this commandment is the first place to start this is the basis for all these conversations this simple two word command reaches into every dimension of our lives. I would want to be so bold as to say that in almost every part of the world the two words, no murder, would be universally acknowledged. And we could pursue other implications perhaps. Uh, you may uh, want to debate with me the difference Uh, between human life, no murder, that's what's implied in the command and other life forms, what about animals? Should we be vegetarian then as a result of this? Again, I don't think this is where this commandment will take us though there are other hints that you might want to consider you could say that even vegetarians have to kill something to eat even if it's a plant or a fish you could take it as David Searle does in his little book about the Ten Commandments into a whole other area about the question so hot on our plates in Scotland just now of racism this will be a big issue in the new Europe where we appeal to identity we appeal to loyalty to that identity but how quickly that kind of thing becomes exclusion we're in and you're out you're different so we don't want you we're going to treat you differently because you come from somewhere else or your background is different how quickly it becomes exclusion sectarianism hatred and what would come next it is strange as we take a breath for a minute this is hard work isn't it as we think of no murder strange how we misuse the word think of how you've heard it um, this most serious of words. Think of how you've heard it, maybe even you've used it in conversation in the last couple of weeks. Uh, You've been stuck in a traffic jam. Oh, the journey was murder, you said. Or um, you know of somebody who's in great pain and the pain is described as murder. Or you've got your new student timetable or your new uh, timetable in the hospital or as a nurse or something like that and it's murder, you say. Or as I was on the touchline yesterday watching... Uh, the football uh, referee, your murder. Not a good day for the ref on that occasion. It fascinates us, doesn't it? ITV have finally finished rerunning Morse, because that was all murder in the refined corridors of Oxford, amongst the academics. And now we've got Taggart in its place. Well, there were two or three murders on the first Taggart the other day. We're fascinated by it. There are even some tellable jokes about murder one minister was saying his goodbye to his parishioners after Sunday morning uh, when uh, Mary came up to him in tears what's bothering you? he said oh minister I've got terrible news, my husband passed away last night, oh Mary said the minister, that's terrible, tell me Mary did he have any last requests? yes, Mary replied sheepishly, well what was it? he said, please Mary, please put the gun down while we mess about the Bible is absolutely clear no murder you think you know but you've already realised that you've begun to see there's much more to it I think it was G.K. Chesterton who once said it's not the bits of the Bible I don't understand that bother me it's the bits of the Bible I do wait till you see now what Jesus does with it and what Paul does with it in the New Testament maybe you'd like to turn with me for a moment to Matthew 5 on page 969 Matthew 5 verse 21 to 26 which we read a few moments ago it's not the bits of the Bible I don't understand it's the bits I do The difficulty lies in the doing of it. The point of this command, says Jesus as he reflects on it, is not that you should stop short of killing someone, but that you should never get near that thought. That thought that you wish they were dead. You wish they were out of the picture. The language uh, that uh, is here, our English translations just don't do it justice. uh, you fool doesn't sound like much does it really to be in danger of hell uh, but it's a very powerful expression and it has behind it a despising I hate you you're worth nothing to me I don't want anything to do with you indeed it would be better if you were not on the scene that's what lies behind that kind of word and no wonder Jesus reflects on it and what what he says here amounts to is that every time you let this kind of personal anger smolder within you you become somehow less than fully human less than how God intended you to be, less than that image of God that we've seen so powerfully in the commandments so far God's image is damaged by this kind of thinking suddenly you see you realise how you're involved in this commandment this commandment has caught up with you hasn't it for all of us sometimes if we're honest for a moment, feel like this? Which of us hasn't thought something along these lines? Even this week, maybe a colleague has just gone too far at work. Maybe a family member has overstepped the mark. Maybe a traffic warden. Something in you has nearly snapped. And Jesus says, instead of that, be reconciled instead of that make friends verse 23 is breathtaking here you are on your way to the chapel you've had a good Sunday off and you want to come and praise God you can't think of anything better to do than to meet your good friends here to praise the Lord in good music to pray and to hear God's word and then take time over that nice coffee afterwards and you're just coming across the square and you remember You remember that someone has something against you. Not that you have it against them, but they have it against you. So revolutionary is this teaching. And Jesus says, don't go to the chapel that night. Go and sort it out. It's much more important that you sort that out than that you meet together to praise God. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Putting things right at the worship level, whether it's on a Sunday or through the week, is more important than meeting to praise God. Putting things right in this way is the challenge. So important that reconciliation takes precedence over praise. And Jesus' teaching, you can see why, can't you, is so radical that his society and his culture simply could not handle it to the point eventually where they accused him falsely they made an accusation they worked out a way of dealing with him and they did away with him as we've been remembering over Easter the innocent was crucified perhaps you have by now seen Mel Gibson's film The Passion long on how he died but rather short on why yet many have asked why why did he go through that why was this innocent person so badly treated. Indeed, the Bible shows us that Jesus was the only truly innocent person ever to have lived and yet he died the death of one who was guilty. His friends could find nothing wrong with him, you'd expect that of course, but they lived and travelled with him for the best part of three years. Some later died because of their faith in him. You don't do that for a lie. Even his enemies could not agree on the charge. They couldn't find a single thing that would stick. But the vision that you're given is that he died, that you might be free, that you might be forgiven, even, even if you are guilty of this, humanly speaking, the worst crime of murder. You may know his forgiveness because... He died. He died so you may begin a new life. He died to win a new people to himself. He died to build a new community where God's alternative ways and values produce a radical lifestyle and draw others to trust in him. He died that your innermost thoughts and feelings could be known and dealt with. He died that you may know God's power from the inside out to live like this, which would be, frankly, impossible on your own how striking this is I remember hearing of uh, Dick Lucas the famous Anglican preacher down south when he was preaching in a northern European country I think it may even have been Finland Uh, Finnish is a very difficult language for uh, Brits and Scots to learn so he needed a translator Uh, but the translator was plainly bored with the conversation clearly this is religious stuff and clearly she had a secular background and she wasn't interested it wasn't her scene And Dick spoke about the crisis amongst people who hate God and his ways so much that they reject his son, Jesus Christ. So much so, he said, that in the end they murdered their maker. They murdered their maker. Suddenly the translator woke up. Suddenly she'd never heard anything like that. And suddenly she was interested and wanted to know what it was about now again let's take a breath for a moment before we come to the last lap I realise how many things there are to think about around this killing is in the news all the time indeed we have many questions about our news makers for this seems to be the focus so much of a time when our son Stephen was three, four, five, something like that and we went through the centre of London and we pointed out Big Ben where the bongs come from and he said instinctively oh we mustn't go there we mustn't go there. If we go there, we'll be killed. Because he'd linked the news with the bombs, you see, and killings with the bombs. How much there is to think about. How many questions we have to ask, and they're good questions, and they're hard questions about the war on terror, about what we're involved in now in Iraq. We could debate for long on these things. But as in our time, so in Jesus' time, there were authorities and states and governments and armies and there were mavericks and mercenaries and revolutionaries and terrorists and one person's terrorist is another's freedom fighter. It's complicated, it's messy, it's not clear. I hope I've shown you that scripture understands that world and that scripture has a clear idea that there are proper ways of doing things. There's one more thing I want to leave you with. It's this from Romans 12. Don't take things into your own hands. Don't take things into your own hands. Romans 12 is on page 1139. When we go to court and when we argue about whether something has been accidental or deliberate we look for motive, we look for intention Was this death planned? Did you mean to do it? Are you responsible even though you didn't and you lashed out? Or was it an accident? And uh, Paul seems to know the next level of that conversation Perhaps for those who have been affected the temptation would be to take revenge. Perhaps particularly where it doesn't look as if the judicial system is going to do it. You know what they say, revenge is a dish best served cold, calculated, deliberate, painful. Jesus said no. Paul says no. Paul says don't step in and take things into your own hands with God's help Paul says you may learn to control your outbursts and your feelings and with God's help by the ministry of God's spirit changing you from the inside out you will find ways of channeling that energy into trusting God just as Jesus did on the cross Peter tells us that he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly this vision of people transformed, renewed with a new purpose, a new direction and a new strength that's what is laid before us how does God repay? well he repays through the state properly and responsibly governed and led, that comes in chapter 13 of Romans which incidentally is why we are called to play our full part in government at every level local, national, international especially, especially in a democratic system We have European elections in just six weeks. What part will you play in that conversation? For so much of what is decided in Brussels seems now to be affecting what we may decide here. So we must be involved. We have that opportunity. We have that privilege. We have that responsibility. There ought to be a distinction between personal revenge and public justice. We must play our part in these things. But incredibly, even when that justice is not there, by and large it is in our world, even when it's corrupt, so you only get justice if you know someone or pay the right person, Christians are called to submit still. Our world thinks this is utter madness, complete weakness, impossible ways of behaving. Remember, we're called to be an alternative society by Exodus, by Jesus by Paul to be salt and light in our contemporary world to make people stop and think and look to God the mark of strength in the Bible is not to act for yourself but to act for others in fact this is not weakness this is radical trust that's the vision I will trust God to deal with this God being my helper I will do that because finally God repays not just through the state here and now but in the coming judgment for he alone is trustworthy he alone knows the whole story, he alone knows the real reasons, he alone knows the full picture and he alone will judge justly so says Paul, I will trust you must trust as God's people seeking his strength to live and waiting for his judgment, finally. No murder. Two simple words. Don't do it. Don't even think of it. But don't think either that you're immune from it, as we've teased out just some of the implications. It goes much deeper and much wider than you think. Deal with that anger. Seek forgiveness. Be a reconciler. Make friends in the Lord's name. You thought you knew it. What is it we sometimes say in Scotland? Forgive my accent. You think you know. You didn't. Aye, but you can knew. Let's pray for a moment.